This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Super Wednesday! Just gonna start calling every day super. Does that work? Is that a thing that we can do? I mean, we can try it. We can see if it sticks. Give it a shot. Sounds yeah. great. I think it's awesome. Let's call it all. Let's call it all super. Um, it's you know, it's a pretty ordinary Wednesday. Actually, it's a very good Wednesday here. It's uh, the weather is amazing out. We're recording ordinarily. We record early afternoon mountain time kind of middle afternoon early evening eastern time today we were recording we got started at 11 30 a.m mountain time today it has been the nicest day out it's like 65 degrees today i was just doing work in the yard and now i gotta talk to you sam what is this garbage all about i mean you could be doing it outside your wi-fi extends I know. to your yard yeah i actually thought about that i should have i should have just set it up but i don't have like a i don't have a proper workstation out there as um that one dude on that one seinfeld episode would say of course, you don't you have a proper workstation. <laughs> well, anyway. after last week when you talked about being in a new location and how freeing that felt, yeah, it, it, I thought it, it, you know maybe the lawn would be around it. all over my house. That should be my my new plan. Just like this week, we're in the kitchen for no reason whatsoever. Seems positive. No, no, not a not a great idea. I mean, you you do it. It doesn't affect me whatsoever. <laughs> Whatever frees you and makes you feel feel most comfortable on this podcast, Tyler, I will support you one hundred percent. Thank you, Samuel. I appreciate that. And uh, with that, welcome into this week's episode of the show before the show from milb.com, talking all things minor league baseball. We got a ton of stuff coming up today as uh we're gonna go all milb.com on this week's episode of the show. Katie Wu will join us from the Cactus League. She is in the Phoenix area today. Got down there uh, four or five days ago, something like that. And uh, she's going to be there for the next couple of weeks covering Cactus League stuff. We'll also hear from Josh Jackson, uh, who will update us on the 2020 Hometown Collection from the MILB shop, uh, which you can check out online. That stuff is all out right now. Josh's story uh, is up on the site. Katie's got a great piece up on uh, A.J. Puck and Buddy Reed, and now both the Oakland Athletics Organization, former Florida Gators teammates reunited. And... uh, we're going to have some fun this week. I'm, uh, I'm excited for this week's episode. Spoiler, we've already recorded both interviews, and I know that they are good, and so that's why I'm so pumped. <laughs> yes. That, that's why we promote this at the top like we do. We always wait. You can – no. Don't, I was going to say go back and see our enthusiasm level to see how the rest of the shows normally go. <laughs> um, but no, they, I mean, I feel like we – the the latter segments usually go well. It's it's when yeah. it's just the two of us that uh, right. They're like who awry. Whose That's idea was it to have this guy host? The other one is smart. The one who opens every episode yelling about where he is in his house. He needs to go. Well, the one who can actually string sentences together and, and speak well into a microphone and know how audio recording works. Uh, you know, there's that guy, and then there's the other guy who doesn't know what he's doing and feels like he's shouting into a tin can and just being like, <laughs> "Is this good?" Was that was that all right? The two of us combined can do the work of one normal man. Yeah, it's great. It's we make great. one good podcast. <laughs> this is only uh, what is this one? Two forty-seven. What is it? Um, Two forty-seven. Yeah. I think we've had probably at least. I don't want to overestimate, but out of those two forty-seven, I bet we've had like three or four really good ones. <laughs> I think they've always been. Pretty good. No, uh, I agree. I agree. We have. Fun. I thought you were going to say we've had 246 pretty good ones, and you guys have to find the one that was just <laughs> find a, the one bad one. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. It's uh. We have fun with this little show we do every week, and uh, we mentioned Josh Jackson is coming up to talk hometown collection in a little while, and uh, that lets us tell you that you can flash back to the past with minor league baseball's hometown collection experience the nostalgia of historic teams on sleek new era 5950 fitted caps relive the glory days of the 2020 releases including the miami amigos the south bend silverhawks queens kings 
Prince William Cannons, Scranton Wilkesbury Red Barons, Quebec Carnivals, Visalia Oaks, and Beaumont Golden Gators. Shop while supplies last at milbstore.com slash hometown. MILB's hometown collection. It's vintage reinvented. That's coming up with Josh in a little bit. And uh, with that, we're going to dive in to three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show. Talking three topics in minor league baseball that are the burning issues of the day. And uh, we are this week rolling out, done rolling out the farm system rankings overall category. The best farm systems in baseball uh, for some fans. You probably expected you were going to get great news. Tampa Bay Rays, San Diego Padres, etc. Uh, for others, not going to name any names. Colorado Rockies, Milwaukee Brewers, not so great. Not great, Bob. Uh, but strike week, strike one this week, Sam. The uh, the overall rankings for 2020. Yeah. How should we do this, Tyler? Should we roll out all 30 or should we just do the top 10? I think if you want to see all 30 and your team is not in the top 10, you got to suffer like the rest of us who are at the back end of the top 30 and go find it yourself. So let's go top 10. um, And for the rest of us, miserable. I mean, like if you're number, you know, 14, it's not that bad. Uh, It's when you're like, you know, 29th that things aren't exciting. Yeah. Let's go top 10. All right. If we're going to go top 10. Let's start here at number 10 with the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Obviously getting a big addition last year with number one overall pick, Adley Rutschman. I was really encouraged by the development of Grayson Rodriguez. D.L. Hall took another step forward. They have IL MVP Ryan Mountcastle in in that system as well. Uh, It's a little bit deeper of a system on the pitching side. I think players like Michael Bauman and Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken, at least they're going to be depth options this year at the upper levels. you know, I would like to see this team invest a little bit more on the Latin market and international market in general. Uh, that's how they can kind of take their next step forward. But they're going to have the number two overall pick again in June. This rebuild is not done yet, even though, you know, I think Adley Rutschman is going to be the cornerstone of this system until he graduates. Uh, they're about to take that corner. So but putting them in the top 10 this year should be an encouraging sign for Baltimore fans. Number nine, we have the Minnesota Twins. Uh, kind of a top-heavy system here with you know players like Royce Lewis, Alex Kirilov, and Trevor Larnick. Uh, they got rid of Bruce Gratterall. They traded him for Kent Ameda, uh to the Dodgers. That's you know a sign of a good system. Uh, they had a major league hole in their rotation. They filled that by trading one of their top prospects. That's a good thing. Kind of causes them to slip a little bit here. But Jordan Balazovic, uh, Joan Duran, they still have some interesting pitchers there. It's just not as strong without Gratterall. Uh, it falls off, obviously, after that first maybe five or six. Uh, but the Twins are, are still pretty strong with guys like Lewis and Kirilov leading that system. Number eight, we have the Detroit Tigers, which apparently was a little bit controversial uh, today. The Tigers actually tweeted out our story uh, to try to get some excitement among the fans. Some of them tweeted that they thought this was too high. Okay, I get it. Uh, one thing that I will say here at the top is that, yes, I I kind of favor systems that are a little bit top-heavy, you know, how are you going to find your stars? It's among the top and under prospects. Depth comes into it, and that shuffles some of this. Um, but the Tigers right now have four top 50 prospects in baseball, according to MLB.com. Uh, few, if any, organizations. I think only the White Sox are the only one to have four in the top 50. Uh, so that's that's obviously going to push them pretty high. Uh, you know, would I like the depth to be a little bit better other than Isaac Paredes, Willie Castro, Daz Cameron, Jake Rogers, all of whom have questions? Yes. But when you look at this system right now, it, it's very easy to see a potentially homegrown pitching rotation led by Casey Mize, Matt Manning, uh, Tarek Skubal, Joey Wentz, Alex Fado. Franklin Perez has been healthy so far in spring, so we'll see how that goes. But they have a solid base of six or seven pitching prospects all of whom are going to be in the upper minors this year we'll see what the tigers do next they will have the number one overall pick uh coming up in june as well that's only going to get deeper and they you know we we talked about riley green on the show uh i think last week early spring performer the fact that he's doing this well after being a first round pick last year should be you know, a boon for the Tigers. Number seven, we have the Miami Marlins. Uh, Marlins are maybe the most improved system here. Uh, there's one other team that I'll talk about in a couple picks that also really took a leap in 2019. But the Marlins, uh, you know, going into last year, we weren't particularly high on. They got Sixto Sanchez. Uh, but we saw, you know, pretty big jumps 
from Edward Cabrera. That was encouraging. Braxton Garrett and Trevor Rogers, their first round picks from a couple of years ago, both had health, health issues in the past, came back strong and productive at Class A Advance and AA last year. Uh, they picked up Jazz Chisholm and Jesus Sanchez in trades. They drafted J.J. Blade, who was one of the most advanced college bats in last year's draft. Uh, this is definitely a bulkier system. And there's even guys further down the list, like a Lewin Diaz or a Peyton Burdick, that I'm a big fan of. Uh, we'll see how those guys develop. Yes, they did have some guys to drop off a little bit. They graduated Isan Diaz. Monte Harrison and Nick Neidert, uh both were top 100 caliber or right on that line. Uh, now they're about the middle of the system in terms of rankings, uh, but they're both looking like potentially major league impact players this season. So keep an eye out there. Uh, the Marlins, you know, if they are in full rebuild mode, they would probably like to be a little bit higher than seventh, but they are on the road there uh, with some of the acquisitions they made last year. So that's encouraging there. Chicago White Sox, I mentioned them before as being one of the other clubs with four top 50 overall prospects. Those guys are uh, Luis Robert, who we've talked about a ton, Andrew Vaughn, the most advanced college bat in last year's draft, Nick Madrigal and his elite contact skills, and Michael Kopech, who's coming off Tommy John surgery. Uh, but all the pieces seem to still be there as he regains his health, tries to get back to the major leagues. Those are four really, really good prospects. Four p- prospects we're very high on. You add in somebody like Jonathan Stever, and again, you know, the depth is an issue issue here. Uh, it falls off pretty quickly. You know, what's going to happen when Madrigal potentially graduates this year and Kopech potentially graduates and Robert, we know, is going to be their starting center fielder on opening day, barring injuries. This is going to fall off real quick. But with the talent that is in the upper minors right now or coming quickly like an Andrew Vaughn, uh, this is a White Sox system that is has a lot to be excited about. Moving into the top five with the Seattle Mariners, this might be my most improved system uh, from last year. Uh, Jared Kelnick made leaps and bounds last year after coming over from, from the New York Mets. Julio Rodriguez, they pushed him very quickly uh, early in his career. He's now the number 18 overall prospect. There's still plenty of helium left in his profile. We'll see what he can do in his second full season as he you know, makes another move stateside, potentially starting the year at AA. We'll see how that goes. Logan Gilbert, we've had on the show before. Uh, Gilbert climbed three levels, is looking like a potential – Top of the rotation talent there. He's number 38 overall right now. Evan White, they liked enough to sign to a major league contract this offseason. George Kirby was their first-round pick last year. He slips into the top 100 at number 100 because of his elite control. Uh, even below that top, that top 100 group, there are other names that many of you at home will know. Kyle Lewis, Justin Dunn, Justin Sheffield, all major league contributors last year. Expect them to help out the big club at least in the first half this year. There are some promising youngsters. Noel V. Marte is somebody that a lot of people should be following soon. I expect him to be in the top 100 at least at some point in 2020. Uh, and then there's some in-between names. Kyle Raleigh I've been asked about before as a catching prospect. Uh, it's it's a fairly diverse group, um, but with the youth of Kelnick and Rodriguez, I think this c- group could take another step this year. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but Seattle Mariners, very exciting list of prospects there. Uh, for the Atlanta Braves at number four, we talked about them having a good farm system for a while. We've seen that de- that development work at the major league level. Ronald Acuna Jr., Ozzy Albies, Mike Soroka, Max Freed, all now key contributors to a really good team in Atlanta. Who is the next generation? That's you know, Christian Pache, Drew Waters, Ian Anderson has moved past the likes of Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson on that pitching depth chart, but they also have uh, Tucker Davidson and Kyle Muller coming up quickly. Shea Langoliers was their first-round pick last year. Uh, Braden Shoemake was also a, a strong pick in last year's draft. Both of those guys can move quickly through that Atlanta system. Uh, it's still deep. It's not as deep as it has been in years past, and I have some questions about what guys like Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson are going to be. Are they going to be relievers or major league starters? We'll have to see how that's going to shift itself out. But a good problem to have, the fact that they have so many upper-level arms, and that Triple A Gwinnett team is going to be maybe the most-watched team of the early 2020 season with Pache, Waters, Anderson, potentially Wright, potentially Wilson, uh, potentially guys like Tucker, Davidson, and Kyle Muller. Really exciting times in the Braves system that are continuing after you know years of excitement there. Number three, we have the L.A. Dodgers. Um, 
what else is there to say there that we haven't already said? Gavin Lux, Dustin May, one, two, both looking major league ready. May is probably going to start out the year at OKC, but Lux is their starting second baseman. We all expect that to happen. Uh, even now, after they let go of a Jeter Downs, uh, to the you know they send him to the Red Sox in the Mookie Betts deal. They're still pretty good depth here. Josiah Gray is still around. Kiwit Ruiz is still around. They pick up Brewster Gratterall, so they kind of replace one top 100 prospect in Downs, pick up one in Gratterall. That's kind of exciting. Uh, Tony Gonsolin, I expect you know, him to be a key contributor in either a starting or relief role for L.A. this year. Uh, he's right on the cusp of being a top 100 guy, but I think he's going to graduate before he can actually reach that status. And they have some lower-level names that uh, should – you know, bring kind of replace the Luxes and the Mays and the Gonsolins when those guys graduate. Cody Hasey, Michael Bush, Diego Gartaya. Um, you know, there's the excitement in this system isn't going away just because Lux and May are, are basically major league ready. Number two and number one, this is a really tough decision uh, for us to make. We went with the San Diego Padres at two and we went with the Tampa Bay Rays at one. We've been talking about both of these systems for a very long time. Uh, the only reason I'm, I, went with the Rays at one. I like their depth a little bit more uh, than I like the the Padres. I think the Padres fall off a little bit earlier than the Rays do. Um, But, you know, you look at who's left in the Padres system, even after graduating a Fernando Tatis Jr. in a Chris Paddock last season, uh, Mackenzie Gore, Luis Patino are – as two good a pitching prospects as you're going to find anywhere, they're under the same tent. Uh, C.J. Abrams got off to a fantastic start last year after being a first-round pick. He was the AZL MVP. Luis Camposano was a really good player in the Cal League last year. They pick up Taylor Trammell. Uh, you know, even outside the top 100, they've got Adrian Morajon, Michelle Baez, Ryan Weathers, Joey Cantillo, Gabriel Arias. All of these guys either have been top 100 prospects or could break into that mold. This season, we'll be keeping a close eye on that. Tampa Bay Rays, you know, they've got the star power. They've got Wander Franco, the top overall prospect in the game. They've got major league ready talent in a Brendan McKay. Uh, they've got speedsters up the middle, Xavier Edwards, uh, Greg Jones, Vidal Bruhan. Really interested to see how that's going to work out. But when you have athletes who are going to play up the middle, it, that'll find a way to work out one way or another. Uh They've got pitchers. They've got Shane Boz, Brent Honeywell Jr., Shane McClanahan, Joe Ryan, J.J. Goss. Um, they've got really good outfielders like Josh Lowe. They've got a pretty solid catcher in Ronaldo Hernandez. It's almost easy to fill out a lineup just based on what's among their top 30 prospects. Uh, it's depth at multiple positions. Maybe catcher is the one that I would highlight is not as deep, but it's easy to fill out a rotation. Uh, you could fill out the infield. You could fill out the outfield. The Rays are as deep a system as you're going to find. And even if that top talent is kind of similar to the Padres, it's a depth that puts them at number one here. Uh, but those top two are oh so close. And, you know, a- ask us in a couple months if, if some developments change. Maybe we switch these two. But as it, things stand right now, it's Tampa, Bay's, Tampa Bay Rays one, San Diego Padres two. Um. Correct me if I am wrong, but prior to last year, MLB Pipeline had never given an 80 grade to a hit tool, correct? And then Vlad Guerrero Jr. got one. Right. And now, uh, Wander Franco has one as well. So that is two top prospects with 80 grade hit tools in two years after that had never happened before. That is pretty incredible. Yeah, and you part of you wants to look at it and be like, well, are we changing our perceptions of what hit tools are? But no, these two guys They're just really are that different. Good. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, if, the, if there was a third next year, and I don't know who that would be, you know, looking at the current prospect uh, slate, I guess you could call it. Uh, you know, if there was a third, we would call that a trend, right? A New York Times trend. There has to be three. Uh, it's not there. Wander Franco controls the zone incredibly well. Uh, he rarely swings and misses. He makes hard contact. Uh, you know, when he swings, it's with intent. Uh, I just watched last year one batting practice round with him and then watched him face live pitching. And it was like he directed the ball where he wanted to go it, uh, wanted it to go. It was really cool to see him do that. And at such a young age, it's very projectable. We've seen him do it against high A pitching. Uh, he's probably going to start out the year at double A. You know, it's very easy to think that he could be leading baseball and batting average in a you know two three years time uh but maybe he'll be bumping up against vlad jr we'll see how that works out uh don't get discouraged by vlad jr's season last year he was still especially young 
Wander Franco just turned 19 at the beginning of March. He's still going to be young. There's a chance he might take some hiccups. But the way his batting profile stands right now with limited swing and miss, limited strikeout ability, good knowledge of the zone, uh, it's a reason to put put an 80 on that hit tool right now. That is uh, pretty exciting stuff uh, if you are a fan in the American League East. I guess I shouldn't say exciting because if you're a fan of a team that doesn't have one of those guys, it's probably more just annoying that you have to watch them on the other side than it is exciting. But still exciting in a baseball sense. Um, And with that, we'll move on to strike two. The uh, top 30 systems already out there. This year, Sam, who is set to rise and who is set to fall among these systems? I know, you know, we kind of talked last week about the uh, 21 and under talent of the White Sox system, for example, which is not great because they have so much high-end talent that will probably graduate this year. Systems change so much within the course of a season. Uh, What are you eyeballing as risers and fallers this year? Yeah, that's one of the interesting things about these farm system rankings is, is that they're kind of encased in amber you know, but they are of their moment. Uh, for all we know, there could be a trade next week that would have to shift these things around. Uh, we already saw that with the Mookie Betts trade. You know, we probably moved up uh, the Red Sox system a little bit because they got Jeter Downs. Uh, what could happen next? We'll, we'll have to see. Uh, but, you know, I'll start with the systems that I expect to be down th- next year compared to where they are now. The White Sox was an obvious candidate that Tyler just mentioned. And for all the reasons we just laid out in strike one, uh, they're about to graduate a ton of guys. And when that happens, there's not much left barring some trades or, or a really good drafts coming up. We'll have to see, but uh, it's going to be really difficult to replace a Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal and Michael Kopech at the top of that system. Still, that's, you know, that's why you graduate these players is because they're really good. Um, so that's not necessarily a knock against the white Sox, ex- except for maybe their depth. Uh, Three other teams I have on the downside are the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, I bring up the Angels because Joe Adele is right on that cusp. Uh, Brandon Marsh will probably open the year at AAA as well. After that, it's a little bit difficult. There are some good names in there, but uh, there is nobody of Adele's uh, stature at all, really. Um, So when Adele graduates, which could happen in the first half here, uh, that system is going to take a tumble. The A's are kind of in that same boat with the White Sox. Yes, there are players I like, you know, sprinkled in the lower levels a little bit. uh, But when Jesus Luzardo, Sean Murphy, and A.J. Puck are all slated to open the year in the major leagues, they're going to be graduating pretty quickly. Those are their three top 100 prospects right now. It's possible that by May or June they could be without any top 100 prospects. So keep an A on that. Keep an eye on that A system. Uh, see how their other guys are doing because we know their their top three guys are pretty solid and major league ready. Uh, and I also have the Houston Astros uh, because you know they only have I think one top 100 name right now in Forrest Whitley. They have another pitcher that I really like in Jose Urquidy. Uh But Whitley, you know, if he can continue what he did last year in the AFL, he will get major league time. They're also without a first round pick or a second round pick this year. If Whitley graduates the next big prospect in that system is not coming through the draft. It's going to be more difficult to replace him. Expect the Astros to kind of go down on the upside. Four teams I'll throw out real quick. We already mentioned the Tigers and the Orioles have the first and second overall picks in this year's draft. That's a big way to help that go up. There are also going to be clubs that potentially could be making trades and they're going to be sellers come the deadline. It's very easy to see them picking up prospects. Uh, You know, maybe the Tigers a little bit easier trading somebody like Matthew Boyd or something like that. But uh, keep an eye on those systems for going up. San Francisco Giants, I'm a big Marco Luciano fan. Uh, If he does over a full season what he did last year in short season ball, he's going to be in the discussion for the top overall prospect going into next year. Uh, They have some young guys. I don't know if Joey Bart's going to graduate this year. If he doesn't, that system's still going to look really, really good going into next year. Uh, The Arizona Diamondbacks, I really struggled with this system because I'm a big fan of the system. Uh, We placed them in that second group of 10. I'm not going to tell you where. You have to go look it up. Uh, But they are filled with young outfielders right now. Christian Robinson, Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas, uh, Dalton Varsho, is on the cusp of the majors. We'll see if he graduates. Um, but several of these players could make jumps this year and be top 30 prospects, top 40 prospects. They're not there yet. They just need to prove themselves a little bit more at the lower levels. If they do that, all the potential is in the world there for the D-backs to be a top 10 system going into 2021. Um, so, yeah, four teams up. 
D-backs, Giants, Tigers, and Orioles, four teams down, I would expect that to be the White Sox, Angels, A's, and Astros. And strike three this week, we are taking a, uh, a listener question. You can always get in touch with us, podcast at MILB.com. You can tweet at us, uh, as John did, and John is uh, one of our longtime listeners at John71105. And he asked, hypothetically, quote, with a top farm system, would you rather it be one – top loaded with a couple of outstanding prospects but not much depth or two very deep but no top 10 prospect this kind of reminds me when i started working in baseball uh i was in the atlanta organization and they had jason hayward and freddie freeman as their one and two and then kind of nobody beyond that obviously things have very much changed in that system since then but there was very much a, a focus on those top two guys uh or a top select group in some systems there are other systems that you see a lot of depth not a lot of elite top shelf depth. So, Sam, if you were uh, having your pick of what a farm system would look like if you had a, a top farm system in the game, do you rather have those high-level guys or a lot of guys who maybe didn't have quite the same uh, immediate ceiling? I think I'm always going to lean towards talent um, because what you're trying to build out is a 25-man roster. Uh, but what the difference between the really, really good teams and the teams that are maybe the second wild card or, you know, in the middle of every division is superstars. Um, you know, this isn't the NBA. I get that. You're, you know, this isn't draft Zion Williamson and just hope that you have a good window with him. Uh, but no, you have him. I mean, the Orioles aren't going to just say, OK, we have Adley Rutschman. We're done now. Uh, I know that. But I would still rather have guys with exciting tools who are definitely going to impact the roster because you're when you're looking at farm systems you your entire 25 or now 26 man roster is not going to be filled with just farm grown talent it's just not the way the game works um, but if you can get an impact player from your farm that's going to make a much bigger difference than uh, you know, getting five guys who are going to be two win players. I mean, that's great. That That's nice to have. And maybe that allows you a little bit of flexibility uh, with team control to go out and sign a superstar, knowing that you have other positions taken care of. Um, but if I could get three top 25 prospects uh, and know that they're going to take up a rotation spot and two spots in my lineup, I can go build around those guys and find the other spots. Um yeah, if I'm just going to have a bunch of two-win players, uh, that's not going to get me to 95 wins that get you know makes you a serious contender. It's the players like a Mookie Betts or a Cody Bellinger or you know obviously a Mike Trout or Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, those are what kick teams into overdrive. So I'm always going to take that, and that's kind of reflected in our rankings, right? We brought that up before. Uh, if you have a lot of top talent, I'm going to give you the edge over if – you know, I like your fi number 15 prospect versus another team's number 15 prospect. The odds of impacting a major league roster are on the low side, obviously. That's not breaking news. Uh, if you have the tools to get there, you have a much better chance. So give me a handful of those guys versus 20 guys who might just be okay. Um, I am very much a uh, have as many pieces to throw at the wall person and see how many stick because uh, – that's kind of the way my team usually does it. They don't really have a, <laughs> I mean, a whole lot that sticks when it's just one or two guys. Well, that's the other thing is, yeah, I, and that's, you know, we get so caught up in, in prospect rankings. That's our job. That's the, our job to talk about how these guys are standing out. Guys still grow at the major league level. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you get 20 decent players, that's 20 lottery tickets. Uh, just because I'm saying I've got three really good talents or four really good talents, they're still not sure things by any means. And uh, each system needs to be built differently also. If you're the Los Angeles Dodgers, you can afford, uh, which obviously the Dodgers have the third-ranked overall system in baseball, as we talked about, but you can afford to have some elite-level guys because you can fill those gaps otherwise. If you're the New York Yankees, if you're the, well, formerly the Boston Red Sox before they pretended like they were poor, you can afford to build those spots up if you are not graduating, growing and graduating guys there. You can go out and sign free agents and do that type of stuff. Systems need to be built in different ways the baltimore orioles for example right now they're trying to build it with all of that they have depth but they also have some elite level talent um so it's a great question in what we would pick if we could choose uh, but it's interesting to see how each organization addresses it all differently yeah and i mean the the rays being number one obviously every team's trying to, to design a good farm system but the way they've designed this system you know we brought it up before that you could fill 
a roster right now would just raise prospects and not be really worried about any one position. That is by design. I mean, the the Rays for a long time have talked about, you know, they don't have the money to go out and sign big guys, but they can develop them, trade them for other prospects, whatever. And it's worked pretty well the last few seasons. And now we're entering 2020 with the Yankees having injury problems and everybody turning to the Rays and saying, these are this is a pretty good team that could very well win the AL East this year. Uh, that is because of the way they have designed that system. So there, we talk about these two roads as if you have to choose one or the other. The ideal is right down the middle to have depth, to have homegrown talent, uh, to have really, really good talent. Um, but yeah, I, 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 you ask me today, I say top talent. You ask me tomorrow, I might say depth. All right. That works. Um, one foul, foul ball that we're going to get into from uh, your friend and mine, J.P. Morosi at MLB.com. Quote, the upcoming Olympic baseball competition received a significant boost late this week, this story from February 28th, with an agreement to allow 40-man roster players who are not in the major leagues to represent their countries in the Tokyo Games and in two qualifying tournaments preceding it. Tokyo Olympics will be the first time baseball has been included in the Olympics since 2008 when it was in Beijing. Uh, We've already had uh, a couple of Olympic qualifying events headed into the 2020 Games. There will be two more. One of them is coming up later on this month uh, in Arizona. The final global qualifier was slated to be uh, the first week of April in Taiwan. That has since been moved back to June due to coronavirus fears. But this is pretty big news because for teams like USA Baseball, uh, Baseball Canada, already the Dominican Republic uh, has welcomed in a guy that we spent a good portion of the show talking about today in Wander Franco, uh, at least according to reports, he'll be on their roster for the Olympic qualifiers. This is pretty big news because for so long the knock on Olympic baseball has been, well, Major League Baseball doesn't let any stars go. Why would I pay attention? That's still going to be the case, at least in terms of Major League quality talent uh, or of Major League uh, active talent, but in terms of Major League quality talent, guys who are on 40-man rosters, if as long as they are not on the active 26-man group that is in the big leagues, they're now eligible to compete in these events. This is a pretty big step. Yeah, no, this is great uh, because you know we saw what the U.S. sent over uh, to Tokyo. When I say we, specifically Tyler saw it because he was actually there calling the games. It was a good roster, but just imagine the prospects who could have been there uh, who are on 40-man rosters. You know, what it would have happened if Brendan McKay could have been pitching uh, for Team USA? What would that have meant? And also having his bat, potentially. Uh, this is very good news. Wander Franco, obviously not on a 40-man roster yet. That doesn't include him. But also, you know, teams seem to be more open to letting these guys get their chances. Geraldo Perdoma uh, also moving over there. Uh, Arizona Diamondback shortstop and uh, top on under prospect. They could potentially be playing up the middle together. That's only going to help the Dominican Republic. Uh, And it's also going to get these guys big exposure to big tournaments and playing under pressure situations. That's only going to help them. Uh, I'm very excited for for what this could mean. Uh, We'll have to see what's going to happen. Tyler, can you give us like a quick preview of this America's qualifier and who you expect to come out of it? Yeah, it's uh, definitely a, uh, a group that favors the United States. Um, it is split into two groups. The U.S. is in uh, a not a down group by any stretch. Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, and Nicaragua. But Group B is Cuba, Venezuela, Canada, and Colombia. So there's a little bit more depth, I would say, uh, among those sides. Right now, the top team that comes out of this group, there's a very short uh, opening round and then a four-team super round, quote-unquote. The top team that comes out of this group qualifies for the Olympic Games. The United States missed out on qualifying uh, in that tournament in November because they lost to Mexico in the bronze medal game. The top finisher from the Americas got that spot, so Mexico is already qualified. Um, After that, the second and third place teams from this America's qualifier will go to what is now June's uh, final global qualifier event. So this is uh, it's a big spot for the U.S. because things are kind of structured to get the United States in and not necessarily deliberately so. But obviously, this is a, an event in the Olympics that would be very benefited by the United States making it in. Um the schedule that uh, that tournament begins uh, on the 20, 
2nd of March with four games, uh, 22nd, 23rd, 24th. That's the opening round. Uh, the super round is the 25th and 26th. There is a potential rain day set for the 27th, but hopefully in Arizona we won't be dealing with that. Um, so, yeah, eight teams. Uh, three of them will qualify for something else, whether that is the Olympics or that final global qualifier, and five will be left out. Uh, but it's going to be fun, and it is in the Phoenix area. Everything is going to be held at Surprise Stadium, which is the home of the Rangers and Royals, and Tempe Diablo Stadium, which is the home of the of the Angels. Um, those are uh, going to be two fun of fun uh, venues to work at. Um, it's also kind of a confusing month for uh, for baseball fans who are into the international side because the World Baseball Classic is also having its qualifiers. Those are going to be held in Tucson, uh, and they are two different pools of uh, other countries, six countries each. Pool one: Brazil, France, Germany, Nicaragua, Pakistan, and South Africa. Pool two is the Czech Republic, Great Britain, New Zealand, Panama, the Philippines, and Spain, and um that is uh kind of i think throwing some people off as to which event is which but wbc stuff is march 12th to the 17th for pool one march 20th to the 22nd for pool two those are in uh tucson and then the wbsc stuff is in the phoenix area from the 22nd to the 26th so i think i probably just explained things very confusingly but hopefully it made some sense yeah i mean (laughs) update your calendars uh apparently arizona is going to be the place to be it is the place everything. to be. The place yeah. to be. Um, the only, if you're wondering, the only um, America's country included in that second group that's going to be in the WBC qualifier. There's no crossover that would damage a team in the America's qualifier trying to qualify for the WBC. All those countries in the uh, the Olympic qualifier, I believe, are already into the WBC for next year. Um, there's only one America's qualifier in Pool 2, uh, or one America's team, I should say, which is Panama, and they are not in the Olympic qualifying event. So it's a little bit confusing, the fact that you've got two qualifying events for major international baseball competition running concurrently uh, in basically the same location <laughs> at the same time. But, uh, yeah, if you're an international baseball nerd like me, and uh, like I know Sam is, and uh, like J.P. Morosi, for example, there's uh, a buffet a veritable buffet of events for you in arizona this month yeah and i, I can't wait to talk about it. especially like i said seeing wonder Bronco and, and perdomo playing on the same team if those that are just two of the guys cool. yeah representing the dr can you you can imagine who's going to be on team usa and team puerto rico and team cuba and uh, it, it'll be really fun should be some really good stuff uh and there was big one big name already uh added to the philippines roster which you may have heard. I heard this as a rumor a couple of weeks ago. And yes, Tim Tebow will play for the Philippines in the 2021 World Baseball Classic qualifier. That is because he was born in uh, Makati. Makati? I unfortunately don't know how to pronounce the town where he was born. But he was born in the Philippines. His parents uh, lived there at the time, and Tim Tebow was born in the Philippines, thus eligible to play for the Philippines. Um, he, I guess that's in the Manila area, so... Uh, Tim Tebow will be on that squad. So there's going to be a lot of interesting names and uh, and interesting rosters and all that type of stuff, and should be fun for us to cover. I'll be at the WBC qualifier for at least one day uh, the week prior to the Olympic event, um, and I'll cover some stuff from there for MILB.com, and then I'll be doing the broadcast for uh, WBSC from the Olympic qualifying event in Surprise and Tempe, uh, along with one of the guys I'll be doing it with is the voice of the Iowa Cubs, Alex Cohen, will be down there as well. So it'll be a fun few days. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about it. Get ready. Somebody who's already down in Arizona is MILB.com's own Katie Wu, and Katie joins the show to talk about a great story that she's got up on the site right now and uh, talk a little bit more about what's going on in the Cactus League. Katie, coming up next. For the first time in 2020, we're headed live to uh, a reporter on the scene in spring training. We've talked to a couple of, uh, of players from the Grapefruit League and Cactus League, but we are pumped to bring on MILB.com's own Katie Wu, who is in Arizona right now, has already been there for a few days, and uh, has a great story up on the site we're going to talk about in a minute. Uh, Katie, what's going on? How's it been being, uh, being down there? Well, firstly, guys, thank you so much for having me. Secondly, it has been great. I really don't think there's a better environment in baseball than – Spring training in Arizona, weather's perfect, everyone's upbeat, positive. The trials and tribulations of last season for whoever you're you're rooting for, that doesn't matter anymore. It's all a fresh start. So it really is one of my favorite times of the year just because everything is so new. And, and the environment, like I said, is just truly amazing out here. 
Arizona really is like I I have not been to Florida, but I just can't fathom a place that's better than the Phoenix area during spring training, uh, and it's awesome. And uh, Katie filed a story from A's camp, which uh, went up on the site yesterday. We're recording this on the the fourth of March, so it was up on Tuesday, and it's a, a great look at one of the A's most uh, heralded prospects and one of the A's newest prospects. Two guys who have a long road back together in their baseball careers: AJ Puck, uh, the left-handed pitcher who is Oakland third-ranked prospect right now, and outfielder Buddy Reed, who is just trading to the to the A's from the Padres this offseason. This is such a cool story. Katie, tell us about this piece. Thanks. Oh, you know, I going back, you know, I, I think Buddy Reed was pretty pretty highly regarded in San Diego. Um, and then of course was traded as part of the Profar trade. And it, it was really cool for him, he was telling me, because when he was traded he realized, hey, I'm gonna reunite with AJ Puck, my old college teammate and my current roommate. Um, and he was super excited about that. He told me that he was trying to wait that AJ was out working out, not home. So he called his dad first. He then called his agent and then couldn't wait anymore. Called AJ immediately. AJ <laughs> flew home and they celebrated immediately. Really, really cool. Just to kind of see, they obviously were incredibly successful in Florida. Um, broke out for the 2016 draft. We're both taken pretty high. You know, AJ was taken sixth overall and, and Buddy Reed was San Diego's second round pick. So it was cool for them, I think, to have so much success in college and then kind of follow similar paths through the minor leagues as well. And, and yeah, so just talking to both of them, you can really tell how excited they are and how supportive they are of each other to be together again. Yeah, that was one of my biggest takeaways from this story is just the cheerleading aspect they have in each other. And A.J. Puck, already a major leaguer, got up some time last year in that Oakland bullpen, basically saying, I thought uh, Buddy Reed was going to be a Rule 5 pick. I think he could have been a major leaguer. He's going to make it up to that point at, at that point. Uh, what was it like seeing that in person? And what was, what were their reactions when you were asking questions about the other guys? Sometimes they brighten up. Sometimes guys get uncomfortable. It doesn't seem like these guys were that way at all. Um, what oh, what were they doing all. talking about each other? It's funny because sometimes when you talk about guys about their own personal performance, they get a little standoffish. They get a little uncomfortable. But talking to whether I was talking to buddy about AJ or vice versa, it was genuine excitement, genuine emotion, and just genuine pride that the two share. Obviously AJ's had a, a, a tough story with, with Tommy John was being close to making the, the roster a few years ago and ultimately didn't had Tommy John surgery battled back and made his debut 17 months after in the big leagues. Um, and buddy was telling me that he got really emotional when that happened. When AJ got the call, he said that he almost cried. And when I told AJ that AJ started smiling and started laughing, um, saying he did not know that and he would be sure to tell him. So that makes me look bad, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> and you can just really see <laughs> some just genuine happiness and love that they have for each other. They speak so highly of each other um, just on a daily basis about their their stories together and what they've worked through and what the what each person believes in the other and what they're capable of so that that's really cool to see because as teammates you know you always want to you always think that you have support and i'm sure you do but this seems to go beyond the regular teammate perspective you know those are two guys who are really easy to, to cheer for and to like, too. A.J. Puck, obviously, with, uh, like you said, the, the road bat. A lot of guys don't make it back on any mound in 17 months after Tommy John surgery. He made mm-hmm. it all the way to the major leagues by that point. And Buddy Reed, I saw as a member of the, the U.S. Collegiate National Team back when he was at Florida playing a series against the, the Cuban National Team. And he is just such an infectious ball player. Like, his energy when he's on the field, the way he carries himself, uh, how smooth he is in the outfield, he's a really fun guy to watch. And I think, too, the other thing, this system, if you're Buddy Reed, you go from one of the most talented systems in baseball in the Padres to another of the most talented systems in baseball in the A's, which has to make at least something about that transition uh, even more exciting, I would imagine. It's not like you're leaving one organization going to a place where now there's a, a complete absence of talent around you. Like Buddy Reed now is a uh, – he's kind of one of the gems in a system full of gems, which is exciting. Absolutely, and that's definitely something that he talked about. One thing that I really enjoyed about this story was – Obviously, A's fans are very familiar with A.J. Puck at this point, you know, highly regarded prospect, made his big league debut, and they're not really sure of Buddy Reed because they don't know him, and he is absolutely somebody they need to know. You described it perfectly when you said his energy is infectious, the way he plays the game. He's always having fun. He's an incredibly fast, fantastic defender, and I think the gist of what I got talking to him was that he was ready for a fresh start, you know? He said, I... Some things clicked with the Padres organization, some things didn't. And that's, you know, no knock on them or me. I was just ready for something new. And he gets it in another super exciting 
farm system that the A's have. So I think, I think that works. You know, I know that Buddy struggled a little bit offensively in the last couple seasons, but maybe some new instructors, some new, some new development can be the key and for him to make that jump like AJ did. And to kind of do the reverse Buddy Reed, as it were, uh, we'll go from A's camp to Padres camp. We know you've been visiting a little bit with them. You're going to be working on a story from Padres camp, talking to some of the guys, two specific uh, top prospects in that system. I'm very jealous. You're going to get to see Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino uh, make their spring debuts. But from your time in Padres camp, talking to some of the Padres prospects, uh, what has stood out to you from there? Because obviously that's, as we've discussed in the previous segment, uh, the second best system in the game right now. What stood out to you about San Diego's spring so far? What really stands out to me here is, is it's a different kind of energy here. There, I think the team as a whole is ready to prove that you know this is the real deal. There's no more. There's no more what if or wait until whatever year. It's no, we're going to make a name right now. And guys like Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino are hugely instrumental in that they are really big on these guys for obvious reasons talking to Mackenzie a little bit you know he said he's just trying to stay under the radar in big league camp just take some he doesn't want to you know come off too strong or do anything like that but he can also kind of tell that you know like he wants to be here very obviously so it's been cool to talk to both of these guys I haven't talked to Patino yet but I'm planning on it in the next couple of days and just kind of see their reactions of you know uh a future that they are so deeply intertwined in. Katie, the uh, the A's system also, um, you got a chance to talk with Jesus Luzardo, who, you know, somewhat similarly to A.J. Puck, we're also excited to see at the major league level, maybe a little bit faster than he got there because of uh, health things and all that. But finally, you know, on the doorstep of being a regular major league contributor, um, he has been one of the most exciting guys in the minor leagues for, a, it seems like, an eternity, and he is still mm-hmm. one of the youngest guys in the top 100, I think. Um, talking to him, looking at his prospects uh, coming into this year, I mean, he's still only 22. He's not going to be 23 until September. There are obviously so many expectations with him. He's a guy who I know every time I've talked to him, and I'm sure Sam probably feels the same way, he doesn't seem as though he is rattled by any of that at all. He is like the coolest customer out there. What was it like talking to him this spring? That's It's so funny because I feel like he has very – he's on the mound. He is just disgusting, just nasty. That changeup that he has is is gross, for lack of a better word. And he's so dominant. He works fast. He told me uh, last week that he works fast as a comfort level for him. He doesn't care about the hitters. He doesn't care about any kind of strategy. He just works fast because he wants to get it done. Off the mound, however, he's probably one of the nicest athletes out there. He is rather quiet, um, a little methodical, kind of thinks about what he's, what he's saying. And it, it's it's funny to see that stark contrast between a highly competent competitor and then the personality being a little bit more, more quieter and more reserved. Um, I think that's always one of my favorite things about spring training is you get to see these personalities of guys a little bit more. And it always cracks me up that some are completely different from how they are on the mound. Uh, and also with Luzardo, I, I saw this come up in your conversation with him um, is that he has been pumping mid nineties pretty easily and he's not going full bore yet. Um, you know, how much is, is that tied into the excitement with that velocity and given his injury history, are the A's at least in your discussions with them or some of your research, are they worried about that with him and trying to go too hard? I know they talked a little bit about an innings innings limit potentially with him this year. Um, I think that's, that's fair to say that they definitely don't want him throwing as hard as he possibly can just from the injury concerns. He hasn't had a full season where he hasn't been injured yet. Um, but he's also a competitor. I, I think the fact that he can top out at 98 and not be throwing his hardest is a very good sign. Um, and I also know that he has been easing his way back to, to full strength, but he really wants to emphasize taking care of his body this season. He, I, I read that that's, probably one of the the biggest things he's taken away is that he wants to take care of himself a little bit more. Um, so yes, I think the velocity is a little bit high and it's a little bit concerning, but at the same time, I don't think anyone's going to complain if he's throwing 98 without having his full momentum. All right, Katie, we'll, we'll end on this one. Um, kind of a non baseball related question in a way, but a spring related question all the same. Uh, you, you went to Arizona state, right? You're I did. Yeah. So you're somewhat, knowledgeable, I'd say more than somewhat knowledgeable, of that area. For people who have 
never been like Tyler gets to go to Phoenix. I I'm the one who has to drive around Florida for people who have right. never been to Phoenix area for spring training. What are your kind of tips for people visiting and trying to hit up as many camps as they can because they are so close like that? I would say um, definitely double up. There's a lot of night games out here and all the parks are, are in close proximity to each other. I would say the farthest one is about an hour and 15 minutes. If you went farthest east to farthest west, um, you can definitely do two games at a time. All the complexes are, are really nice and a lot of complexes share teams. So you can always try and base your schedule around that too. Um, you can't go wrong here. Nowhere, wherever you go, you cannot go wrong. It's truly an incredible time out here. It's a lot of fun and something that I think every baseball fan should absolutely try to do once in their life is come to an Arizona spring training. That is, I 100% agree with that. Um, and Katie, you still got uh, a little while down there. I'm going to get down there on the night of the 15th, and I think you're leaving that next day, so you'll still got uh, almost a couple of weeks. What else do you have planned? A, and two-part question, B, will you uh, make a list of the things you do so when I show up, they're not like, oh, we already talked to a much better and smarter writer. What are you doing here? Because I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, um, I'm always open to suggestions if there's prospects or, or guys that people – want to read about but they feel like they haven't gotten enough so with that being said please please email me katherine.wu at mlb.com if you have any kind of story ideas i always take them but you know i'm trying to go to as many camps as possible and we always want to cover the top prospects because i feel like they're the most exciting they're the most known but i'm also looking for you know first round draft picks i i'm planning on going to giants camp over the weekend and, and talking to hunter bishop a little bit about his first time uh his first half season we should say uh, definitely plan on making some stops at White Sox camp, Dodgers camp, and probably we'll still go back to A's camp at some point. But, you know, like I said, I'm always open for suggestions, always taking ideas. So if anyone's listening, please, please, please send me some. I'm always happy to have them. Katie is on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. You can find her there. You can find her stuff at, uh, at MILB.com and so much more coming from the Cactus League over the next couple of weeks. And uh, we're excited to read it all. Go right now and read that story on, uh, on AJ Puck and Buddy Reed because it's a great piece uh, from those first few days. Go do it. Go do it right now. And really, though, you can get in touch. Uh, Katie gave you her email, email address. Um, Sam and I as well. If there are things that you think of as the spring rolls along, you can get in touch with us too. Uh, but, yeah, we're always happy to, uh, to get ideas from people who want to know stuff about prospects that maybe we haven't uh, had on our radar uh, quite the same as uh, as we would otherwise during the season. So um, let us know. And uh, Katie, enjoy the time down there. Have fun. Thank you guys so much. Continuing along in our MILB.com edition of uh, the show before the show, we are joined by our good pal, your friend and mine, Josh Jackson from the Los Angeles area. Free spirits, welcome. Hi, Josh. How are you? Hi, everybody. I'm out here being a free spirit. How's it going? How's it going? How's it going As everybody? free spirits say, I'm out here being a free spirit. Always. That's how you identify yourself as one of those free spirits. I sent Josh a picture of uh, – uh, a bus stop in the Denver area. They are now all over the Denver area in which, uh, I don't know if it's Los Angeles convention, visitors bureau, whoever it is. Um, they have these ads for all these different areas of Los Angeles. And the tagline is free spirits. Welcome. And, um, yeah, based on, you know, the, we walked by, I was out there for a work trip recently and, uh, there was an advertisement for, uh, I believe it was a two bedroom apartment, um, in Santa Monica for like $6,500 a month. And, uh, yeah, free spirits, man. Those are the people that can afford those prices, as we all know. Right. You need a, t- you need a $75 T-shirt that says you're a, a free spirit <laughs> if you really want to make it. Well, thankfully, but we have our own work. free spirits, Josh Jackson, on, uh, on this week's episode. I'm very excited about this topic of conversation because Josh has a story up on the site about the 2020 rollout of MILB's hometown collection, uh, which we have written about in, uh, in seasons past and discussed on the show, MILB.com shop. Uh, the hometown collection has really taken on uh, a much better and uh, more prolific life over the last several years, honoring franchises of uh, years gone by and uh, maybe now former minor league cities or current minor league cities that had a previous team all that type of stuff but there are um, eight teams now that are honored in this year's edition of the hometown collection we've got the hats we've got the logos all that stuff is up in the story and uh, Josh this is a fun one to put together what was uh, the 2020 edition like for you yeah so I do you know I love to work on these because it gives me an excuse to do one of my favorite things that um 
that I get to do for this job is just kind of to look in like little corners of the minor leagues and uh, that, that, you know, aren't really with us anymore and say, what, what was, what would it have been like to go to one of those games? Like, um, and yeah, this was a really fun one because there were a couple of franchises that just seem really incredible um, in, in a couple senses of the word, as in both improbable and, um, and exciting and, and cool. Um, that you know, I got to, I got to dig into a little bit, and you can read you know all of all of these stories um, uh, on this in this story in this story about the the collections release. But um, for me, one of the ones that I was like, oh wow, what a cool thing to have existed was the Miami Amigos. Um, introduced me to a whole league that I'd never heard of. Um, did have you guys? Do you have you do you fellas know? about the inter-american league i had heard of the league but i did not know the story and i'll be honest that i cheated and i already read through this part um but it is fascinating and i was unaware of this story yeah so in 1979 there was um there was a league that didn't make it through the summer because it was just it's just kind of like a little too much of a golden dream to actually be able to to exist um it, it was a minor league that had teams from Venezuela, Panama, Puerto Rico, and the Dominican Republic and, uh, and Miami. Um, so sort of a, you know, um, Caribbean, you know, South, South Florida league and the Amigos were, were managed by Davey Johnson, who also played a little bit for them. I don't think he was like an everyday player, but he was a player manager sort of at the end of his playing career for them. Um, Orlando Pena and Wayne, Wayne Granger were, you know, longtime big leaguers kind of on their way out. They played for that team too. And they just kind of steamrolled the league here. They had, um, they, yeah, 708 winning percentage. But unfortunately, by the middle of the summer, it was just a matter of, you know, um, you're traveling between all these different countries. They're, the, the flights, it's not, you know, the most. Um, commonly traveled airports from from place to place. It was it was hard to manage. Basically, there were cash flow issues, there were visa issues, there were there were cost of travel issues, and the, it just wasn't um, tenable. Um, but it's a really cool sort of team. It's a really cool look, I think. Um, and I just have fun thinking about like, you know, May 1979. <laughs> What it would be like going to one of the going to a Miami Amigos game, or or then maybe even you know seeing the Amigos play in um, in Puerto Rico or in the Dominican Republic, how, how fun that would be. Um, yeah, and one thing one thing about this list too is that you know it allows us to kind of go into the hipsterdom of minor league baseball. We have a team like the Miami Amigos who existed for a handful of months, but then also like the recent history of this, I was surprised at how many teams on here, not only that I recognize, but like I've covered over the years. I mean, the South Bend Silverhawks yeah. are here, the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Red Barons, the Visalia Oaks. Um, what was it like, you know, writing about those teams that really are not that too far in, into the past? Well, I'll tell you, it was a little, um, it was a little bit hard <laughs> <laughs> uh, per- personally, because it was like, Oh, the Silverhawks. Yeah, I mean, I, I've wrote, I've written a ton about the Silverhawks. Silver now they're like a, a throwback team. How how old do you all think I am? Yeah, here? they were just around um, like but, five years ago. Like, come on. Right. <laughs> but they were, you know, they were a 20-year franchise uh, or 21-year franchise. Um, so it, it does, I mean, this franchise still exists, but it, uh, identity, a 21-year identity. There's not a ton of teams that, you know, not only active, um, but generally that stick with one identity for, for 21 years. Um, so it's, it's really cool to, to look at it from that perspective too. There were some things I, Sam, did you ever know how, why the Silverhawks were called the Silverhawks? I, I, I can't did. say that I did. I did, I did not. But personally. Yeah. It's uh it's one of those ones. It's a deep cut for a city, which I really like. Yeah. I, Tyler, I asked Sam because I like for some reason it just seems like the kind of thing you knew you would know, but it's I had no idea. That, and I don't that I specialize I in. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's because um, Studebaker, the car company, uh, used to manufacture a car for I think for like two years or something. Not it wasn't even like a 
long running thing um, in the late fifties called the Silverhawk uh, in South Bend. So that had a lot to do with the city's growth in that period and became kind of a part for at least some people of the city's identity. And then this minor league team comes and Kapow, now it's even more a part of their identity for, you know, generations of fans who, who maybe their grandfather worked at the, at that factory, maybe making Silverhawks or like maybe their grandfather's friend or, or even, I don't know, great grandfather at this point. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's, that's pretty cool. And then also same thing with like, you know, the, the red barons, um, the red barons history, I had butted up a little bit against when a couple of years ago, I wrote a story about, um, another, the, the unlikely main guides who played an international league team in a, a town of like under 7,000. Um, they, that's where that franchise ended up moving, uh, and becoming the, the red Baron. So I knew that I knew their roots, um, but it was really fun to sort of dig into what exactly they were up to, what, what they were producing, the players they were producing from that point um, in 89. Yeah. In 89, um, you know, up till quasi recently, um, how much they had to do with the, with that 2008 world series uh, team, the Phillies produced almost, you know, really the whole core of that team. Um, came through uh, as red bands in the, in the minors. So really, yeah, really kind of fun to look through that way and say, yeah, it's not, you know, I'm not digging into like the 1920s, but look at the really cool backstories of, you know, Shane Victorino. I ha- I don't think I had followed his minor league career at all. Um, Brian Howard, I think he, he led the aisle in, in hitting one year for the red Barons. Um which is not, you know, you don't think of him as that kind of hitter now. I, by hitting, I mean batting average, um, old school style. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think it was really different and really fun to, to look at these sort of more recent franchises and, and mix them up with, like, more obscure things like, like the Amigos. And, um, I yeah, I had a blast, too, with the, the team from Quebec City. Uh, I'm going to leave it as a tease, leave that as a teaser for you. Have you go check out the, uh, the story on MILB.com um, to, to read about them for yourselves. One that I feel like is going to blow up uh, is the Queens Kings, who were a short-lived one-season team uh, in the New York Penn League, and they kind of occupied. They kept the seat warm for the Brooklyn Cyclones while their uh, ballpark was being built and finished off, and it's just such a great name, and the logo is so great, and it feels like it fits uh, the the Queens uh, identity very well. The logo, of course, is a kind of a trading card king looking out from the letter Q. Um, Also, one of the things I love about this, it's not really, I guess, uh, a tribute, but kind of a tacit tribute. The Brooklyn Cyclones, uh, who have since become one of the most successful franchises in all minor league baseball, the Cyclones' alternate identity uh, for Copa has been the Jefes, which is like boss, which is kind of like Kings. It's kind of like a a little uh, tribute to the franchise's history. I love that one. I may shell out some money for this one. Yeah, I you know, to... I'm not um, certainly not like as much as as Tyler Mon here. I'm not <laughs> I'm not like wild about logos and and uniform design. I, I think it's I, I think that's really cool stuff. I like to look at them. I don't spend a ton of time like thinking about them, but I look at that. It that, seems like a I shot like at the, me, Josh. Um, all of this. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't really. Waste I don't mean my it that life way. Away, I, building a wall in my house <laughs> with hats. Like I'm not quite that dumb and vain. Uh, I'm, I, I don't have as, as pure and, and, um, sophisticated and appreciation, um, for things of purely visual aesthetic value. Okay. Okay. Um, Sure. 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 Nice. Good save, Josh. I'm a lesser person than Tyler Moss, (laughs) but I will, I will match Tyler Moss' affection for this. I, especially, I like the, um, the logo on the hat that's just like the the Q with the crown above it. Yeah. I think that's a really cool logo. Great. 
Yeah, I'm with you. Um, this story is up at MILB.com right now, and uh, you can visit the MILB.com shop as well and uh, get all of your hometown collection stuff put together for the 2020 season and beyond. And uh, Joshua Jackson, you can follow on Twitter at Josh Jackson MILB. He is one of our favorite people on the planet. You can find uh, all the information on all these other teams. Yeah, we'll leave the other ones as just kind of teases for you, but there's some really good ones uh, in there which are uh, if you're a fan of a certain California League franchise you've got one that's the roots of your team that's in there a fan of a team that moved in the Carolina League this past off season that is headed for maybe or maybe not uh, Fredericksburg that team one of its root franchises <laughs> is in there and uh, some really good stuff that is up on the side right now thanks Josh somebody got stabbed in one of these there's there's a story of a stabbing so you know <laughs> check check it out I got really worried you were just like describing what happened outside your window just, you're just walking uh, down the street no 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 it it happened in the 1980s there's another wow. another teaser for that you there's a, the story of a stabbing in the 1980s yeah huh missed that one yeah probably not recording a, probably not this a whole segment we're gonna talk about the stabbing let's <laughs> do an entire story on that thanks josh it's in the omont bay olden gay aiders gay section uh <laughs> For those Pig Latin speakers out there. We're going to do all of our interviews from now on to Pig Latin. (laughs) Thank you for having me on. Thank you people for listening out there in radio podcast land. Thanks, buddy. We uh, do not yet get to preview MILB.com games that we're watching this week, but uh, we got ad copy for a spot that we'll record uh, for airing in minor league ballparks this year about MILB TV, which means uh, it's soon. Soon, soon. Yeah, so if you guys are at a minor league stadium this this summer and you turn around and like, where do I know that voice from? <laughs> it's probably Tyler. It probably is. It probably He's is. I actually got texts. I got texts from a few uh, radio guys that I know in the minors last year like, hey, do you do this MILB TV spot that we air? Like, yeah, I do. That's me. Yeah. Sorry, that can't get away from me. Womp womp. Um, but, uh, yeah, Mill TV, you can get your subscription right now for the 2020 season, I believe, uh, already up there for you for, uh, pre opening day preparation. And, uh, that's it for us this week. This is a good show. I like this show this week. Yeah. It was a very special MILB.com, uh, edition of the show before the show. We're going to end on some emotional music and like a, a moral story, uh, like a nineties sitcom. No? Important lessons were learned by all this week, I think. (laughs) He's Sam. I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you next week.